oh crap, I have no savings. Yes. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, <laughs> I would say practicality rooted in positivity. Oh, that was way better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> crap. Hello and welcome to Girls With Goals. I'm Neve Marr and I'm delighted to welcome to studio today the positive economist Susan Hayes. Susan is the managing director of the international financial training company Hayes Culleton. So you've probably guessed it, it's all about money this week. Well, really, it's kind of about life and sorting all of our shit out as well. So I've asked you, the listener, before about what kind of episodes you'd like. And weirdly enough, an episode on sociopaths came out on top, which I'm still working on and I haven't forgotten about. But finance was a huge topic that cropped up. And also a friend of the show, Caroline Foran, will join us to talk about practical ways to deal with the stresses of modern life. But first, Susan, you're very welcome to the show. So we're going to start with our game. It's called six words or less and you have to describe yourself in six words or less for any of our listeners and our readers of her.ie who may not know who you are now the thing is there's usually another panellist here so I'm going to do something that I've never done before and I'm going to play the game as well great love it yeah so I'll go first and mine is going to be finance based so oh crap I have no savings yes <laughs> okay right and that your was turn a really good sentence yeah. um, I would say Practicality rooted in positivity. Oh, that was way better than mine. (laughs) (laughs) Crap. (laughs) So, Susan, you have a BSc in financial maths and economics. Were you always drawn to figures and maths from a very young age? I was, yeah, I I was. When I was three and four and five, I set up my first business and it was a travel agency and my teddy bears and my clients. Wow. They were remarkably good. They never said a word. My customer service department was always, you know, looking for things to do. No, seriously, I did. I used to set up businesses in my imagination. Nice. And uh, and I had a great time. Oh, I had a great time. As I say, I had a travel agency uh, with an old bus airing timetable. I actually had a post office. Yeah. Oh, very good. Yeah, when I was a kid. There you go. There you go. My brother used to come to it. Oh, well, you had real customers. I did. Well, he yeah. had no choice. You could say mine was still in beta uh, <laughs> at, at the time. But yeah, I was. And uh, and as I noticed, I mean, you're not hugely self-aware as a teenager, but mm-hmm. I noticed that the subjects that I was drawn to in my Leaving Cert all had a number in it. Right. And uh, and then from there I went on. So, But numbers are wonderful. Like, they're absolutely wonderful. <laughs> okay. I just feel like I need to be completely honest with you about this. I... I'm not good with numbers. I never have been. And actually, my brother is really, really good at maths, always has been. And he was drawn to all of those subjects in secondary school. And I just really kind of struggled. So obviously, it is just your brain. You're either wired that way or you're not wired. The the numbers never worked for me, basically. I would try my hardest, but it never actually worked out. Well, what I will say is there are eight different forms of intelligence and numbers are just one. Okay. Um, And there's there's seven others. And I can list them all out for you if you want. Want, but I'm sure you score extremely highly on many of the others, Neve, so you've nothing to worry about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, what I would say is that I don't see, um, let's say, having a weakness in something as a bad thing. Yeah. I see that. I'll give you an example. People wouldn't necessarily know this about me, but I can't shop. I can't pick clothes. I can't dress myself. You can't? No, not at all. No, you I look can't. great today. Well, thank you. But I'll tell you why is that I go to a personal shopper once a year, every year. She picks everything and that's really? it. Yeah. I, I genuinely can't. I really can't. Uh, visually, I was I was not strong and in many aspects. So the numbers have enabled me to mm. find to fill the weakness in another area. And 
before people think that you know that I, I spend a fortune on my on my personal shopper she absolutely saves me what I would waste myself wow so I, again it's a numbers based decision but yeah. uh, but yeah, so there's many many ways in which where I can be strong on numbers that I can be deficient in other areas but that, that doesn't have to be a problem for me yeah all I have to do is find someone to compliment it yeah. or else to either train myself or pay somebody else to fill that weakness for me. So I want to talk about the books that you've written and a bit later on we actually have a few questions that came in from listeners which I think is going to be great for you to talk about. The Savvy Women's Guide to Financial Freedom was a book that you Mm -hmm. wrote and basically it kind of shared tips and step-by-step action plans um, that help women to achieve their financial goals. So why did you want to write this in the first place? Why did you think it was important for women to become more savvy with their finances? Um... First of all, women treat money differently than men. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's better and sometimes it's worse, but there are differences. And I, many people said, why didn't I just write the savvy guide to financial freedom? It's the savvy guide. It's the savvy woman's guide. The exactly. savvy woman's guide. So, a couple of things. Uh, number one, uh, women are really good at managing day to day. Like they're absolutely amazing at, at at. I won't say multitasking. That's not what I mean. Doing a lot of things at the same time. I simply mean doing a lot of things. Yeah. So whether it is you know organizing children's lunches while at the same time um, they're on the way out the door to a meeting and uh, they remember their sister's birthday and to get flowers for Mother's Day. I mean, women are incredibly good at managing day to day, and that also translates to money. Yeah. They can be exceptionally good at making sure that you know. The shopping is looked after, the school books are ready, the money is there for the school tour at the weekend, um, the wedding present is bought and so on. Um, where women have a struggle is on looking long term. Okay. So women and pensions. That's because they've got so much to do on that day. Correct. They can't look past it. Correct. Yeah. And you and and now I I'm going to say I agree with that to a large degree. Um, but there's there is a choice that has to be made yeah. about taking. Let's say I I have a power hour that I spend one hour a week just looking at things financially related uh, that's it so whether it is okay we need to organise health insurance or I need to consider buying a stock or I need to stop that direct debit or just taking one hour out a week that is a meeting between me and my money yeah wow that's, that, that's it and that's that's all it takes now I know there's a lot of women listening today who says god I'd love an hour yeah. week I'd love five minutes in the week but it is something that, that, that I do but that is where women struggle so women and pensions I mean the worst offenders in terms of women having pensions are A women B and women who are self-employed yeah. uh, and, and they are the most at risk now on the other hand um, women will assuming that they marry someone of their same age which I absolutely didn't but uh, and, okay. and I'm very I'm very happy with, with who I am but I mean I, let's just put it put it this way I'm very statistically um, likely to outlive my husband and um, okay. yeah he's a good bit older than I am so uh, in in that case let's say that if, if a woman marries a man who's older than her uh, or the same age she's statistically likely to outlive him right so it's really important that she she has a pension, and there is where where there there is an issue. Also, women tend to be better investors, um, but there tends to be far fewer of them because yeah. it's oh this murky world where I simply don't want to get into it. And again, it's the answer. Eve is usually the same thing: is look, I haven't time for that today. Yeah, I mean, I suppose like if we're looking at the book, some of the top tips, and I know that you mentioned them there, but the power hour is something that. I mean, I'm going to try and do it. Mm. I, I hope to. But what are some of the other tips that people can find in the book in terms of getting to that place of financial freedom, essentially? 
the, the one of the key things that I say over and over again is that you don't have to do this on your own at all yeah. okay so the minute I said pensions I, I saw your face reacting now I know obviously this is a podcast and people can't see the facial recognition here mm-hmm. well see my brother is chasing me at the moment um, to sort out my pension and the reason is you said there about being self-employed as well so I worked freelance for years when I was starting out in radio and then when you the, when the contracts come you're just so delighted that you have a full-time contract that you don't really think about it and you know the media industry is not known for having the most incredible pensions so it's something that is it's probably it's gone up and up and up in my list and now I would say it's maybe third on my list but I mean being totally honest I don't have a pension Okay right and and you're you're like you're like a lot of people Okay Okay so I, I will uh, I will tell you uh, why you should Okay so first and foremost um, like I say you don't have to do this on your own separate to having a brother who's chasing you to do this the pensions it's a good th- finance brother actually I can, I'm gathering that yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the pensions authority is a state funded body um, that is completely independent and objective that your taxes are paying for that are waiting for your call to simply answer your questions in the first place okay, okay. so what that's so there's I mean, a team of people there waiting, waiting for, for me you. Okay. Yeah, and you're paying the wages as well and, and you're not getting them to do any work for you I never knew that. Yes, and most people don't. So, and by the way, there are these types of organisations for many aspects of your finances, which I'll get on to. Yeah. The second thing is, is that the government is waiting there to give you money back and you don't want to take it either. So for... I do, I want it. Oh yeah, but you haven't done anything I know, about it. I know, So, um, So let's just say, right, that you are in 100 euro okay. and that you're in the lower tax tax bracket. That means that from, from that 100 euro, the government takes 20 in tax and then you take, you have 80 euros in your back pocket. Now, let's say you're in the higher tax bracket well then they take 40 euros out of that okay. so uh, so that means that you earn 100 euro the government takes 40 you have 60 now left in your in your um, spending if you put it into the pension the government will give you all that tax back up to a certain area so they're waiting to give you money back for free and uh, and you haven't taken it when do they give me that money back when you put it into your pension so like now if I did yeah. it yeah, and you've left an awful Shit. lot of it. You've left an awful that. lot of this on the table. I have. You have. And the third thing is, you mentioned about being in media. So, and and I'm going to say this for anybody at yeah. home, anybody at all at home, um, at all. I mean, I'm talking about if you if you're not in employment at all, mm-hmm. there is a product that uh, the the pensions industry created called a PRSA. It's called um, a pension related, uh, sorry, a payment related services annuity. Um, now. I have got that acronym slightly wrong, but anyway, it's, I it's can, still. I guarantee it's, yeah, you, I'm not going to correct you on it anyway. It's still no, it's 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 still a, no, it's a PRSA anyway because I'll I'll only I'll only confuse people now. But a PRSA is designed to be a really 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 flexible um, pension where it's not that you have to put in X amount every month. You can simply put in 250 euros a year upwards. Okay. So therefore, the pensions authority are waiting to help you. Yeah. The government is waiting to give you money, and this product is totally designed to the flexibility that you need. I suppose there's one of those things about pensions where you worry that if you just go in and get kind of like a standard pension, it's not going to be good enough. And the thing is, is that any pension at the moment that I would have would be better than the pension that I have currently, which is no pension. Yes. But there's something about like my friend is a nurse for example and she's been paying into a pension for 10 years since she graduated college so I'm almost a bit like oh Jesus you know I've left it so late now (laughs) that I'm a bit scared about the whole thing If you were 63 I'd still tell you to get one Yeah, I really would First of all I'm going to have to stop working eventually Well okay let's let's put it a different way so I'm going to offer you a job in the future and you can set your wages now are you going to tell me no I won't bother because that's what not having a pension 
pension is doing is that for approximately let's say the pension age is 70 when you retire and let's say you live until you're 90 you're saying okay I, I'm going to get an income for 20 years and today you you can set that pension or you can set that income yeah. and you're telling me no nah, couldn't be bothered I know yeah no I'm terrible <laughs> no no you're not terrible honestly no 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 you're not terrible it's just people think they don't think about the things that I'm talking about they think haven't time today or the other thing is the word pension it has connotations of older yeah. or that's it before you die yeah. or and it's all of these things as opposed to your lifestyle after retirement this is the time when every day is a weekend absolutely um, in terms of going back to kind of women and finances when is it important and I suppose you could probably take my age and then minus six years if we're going to really get into it but when is it important for women to start focusing on their finance so there's a phrase that my mother always says to me she always says that 20s are for learning and 30s are for earning so is that something that you think there's any truth in um, I mean because I think like as a woman you know we've we've done podcasts on it before and we've kind of talked about the struggles that some women face in terms of like asking for more money in their yeah. jobs and, and yeah. these kind of things um, and for years I can say personally that I was just so happy to be getting contracts that I mm-hmm. wasn't really focused on it but I'm at a different stage in my life now so when do you think that for a woman that you should be you know, I suppose knowing your worth and knowing what exactly you should be getting. Uh, I would say from when you're in college, actually, yeah. uh, I would. And it's very easy to do it, by the way. It's, mm-hmm. it's very easy to do it because uh, two resources I'm now going to mention. Uh, as I say, you don't have to go on this journey at all on your own. If you are somebody at a, any stage in your adult life at all, so that means 18 onwards, a great website that, again, we're all paying for and they do a superb job is called consumerhelp.ie. Okay. And that is, again, a state-funded independent website. And there's a huge amount of, of really useful tools and everything on it that I'll bring up. If, should they be relevant in this conversation but one of them is life stages okay. so if I'm in college what should I be knowing what should I be asking what rights do I have you know what are the financial elements or what things am I entitled to that I, that I don't know about um, similarly moving into a house getting married yeah. uh, starting your first job getting a pension and so on so at whatever stage you're at maybe you're somebody thinking about having kids maybe you're somebody who's thinking about moving abroad maybe you're somebody who's thinking about going back to college and so on all of those they're all life stages yeah. and consumer help has a full list of things that you need to be considerate of. That's one of the outlets, yeah. Yeah. Now, on the other point, your worth. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, there's uh, some great work done here by recruitment companies. So recruitment companies will have salary guides for you. So if I put in that I work in this particular industry and I have five years experience, um, those salary guides will tell me in an interview or in a promotion or in a review conversation where I could say my salary expectations are. So you don't have to come up with a figure yourself. That's the question that everybody freaks out at. Yeah. in interviews and there's actually there's been studies done on it I can't remember the research now but bosses have said that you can be in an interview situation and you ask that very thing and usually they'll leave it to the last about what your salary expectations are and mm-hmm. they have said that women who have had a great interview who are coming across as incredibly confident and very assured in what they do they just kind of go into themselves a little bit and I've, mm-hmm. I'm guilty of it I've done it before as well there's something about rattling off a number and it's almost like they're putting you on the spot Mm -hmm. 
and so you don't have to answer that do you or well, you shouldn't do you think you should answer oh, that oh I, I think you should yeah okay. but I mean but the thing is is that the way in which to do with confidence is 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 let's okay I'm again I'm going to put myself in a scenario where I have worked in this particular industry and I've done my research and I've looked at two salary guides from two recruitment companies and I they say that with my experience let's say that I should, that I'm my salary expectation should be 65,000 right I'm just picking that figure out of my head yeah. so the way I would say that is so you ask me what's my salary expectation so well I would say uh, 75,000 euro based on the fact that having done my research that somebody with my experience and my role um, would command a salary of 65,000 but because I've worked internationally or because I've managed a team or because I have a master's or because I'm willing to work flexibly yeah. or because I'm willing to travel or because I'm willing to take uh, and I'm I'm willing to do something extra I think that that is a fair level given today's uh, given t- yeah. today's environment and I suppose the the person that is interviewing you or the person who you're in that situation with is not going to go no like they're going to just take whatever you say write it down and then mm-hmm. go away from it so I suppose it's kind of overcoming that fear of putting well, the figure out there I guess as I su- well well now I suppose what I would say there is is two things is you're going to get paid for your job I mean mm. that's that's an expert so there shouldn't be a fear around asking for a figure if they push back you can always deal then you you can negotiate then but because I have been seven and a half years in business I have to do this all the time every time someone says okay Susan so what's the price for I have to answer this question and practice numbs (laughs) practice numbs that feeling because well you but it's it's, I do the same thing Eve I do the very same thing I say well this is what I charge in other areas or this is generally what the competition will charge I do the same thing I evidence it I yeah. evidence it and I say here's why why it's worth it so what I would say is that evidence it that's a really good way of yeah, kind that, of thinking that's it. about it yeah, yeah. That's, that's all it is but rather than it being Neve has asked me for 65,000 euro mm. you're telling me that the re- that the research you have done shows that you're uh, that, that, that a fair wage for this would be 65,000 you're not saying this yeah the research is Nice. So distance yourself from. Oh, okay. I'm afraid to ask for money. Distance, yeah. Yep. So, um, so just two recruitment companies. I would say Morgan McKinley and CPL Resources. They're both here in Ireland. Both of them have salary guides, and uh, and that's where you can start. Nice. We're going to take a quick break now. Caroline Foran is a journalist, author, and friend of the show. She's been on before, and she wrote an article recently in the Irish Times about practical ways of dealing with modern stress. So we're going to talk about money stresses a little bit when we come back. So author, journalist, interior guru, Caroline Foran joins us now on the line. Caroline, we've had you on the show before. You basically wrote the book on anxiety, owning it, the bullshit free guide to living with anxiety. So on this week's show, we're we're basically talking about getting our lives together. And you wrote a piece for the Irish Times recently, which completely jumped out at me. It's called Four Practical Ways to Cope with the Stresses of Modern Life. So I wanted to get you back on to pick your brain once again. So I, I love love that you said sometimes bowls of quinoa and practicing gratitude <laughs> are just not enough so you fully be- believe in that yeah oh completely yeah I think there's just so much online and in magazines and articles that are just you know kind of giving really un- not unhelpful but just like unpractical advice um, and I think like a lot of it is about trying to live a stress-free life and I just think that's completely counterproductive and really you know stress is something we're all going to experience we're all going to feel uh, you know if you have a pulse it's just it's part and parcel of the human experience so I think 
you know, enough of the arranging your hard to look like a work of art and, and like let's be really practical and, and like what actually can help me manage my day So there's no point in basically saying let's all lead stress free lives because it's not attainable it's not possible and although we can meditate until the cows come home sometimes it's just not enough so you've kind of laid down a few practical ways that can really help so let's start with the 40 minute escape so what exactly do you mean by that? So I think it's just really important to build in a sort of set routine time to your day every day where you have 40 minutes of not literally escaping, but like something that you do just for you that's not on your to-do list. And um, so for some people, that could be reframing their um, their morning commute or their evening commute as a more positive experience. You know, like if you're held up in traffic and it's usually a stressful thing and um, to actually say, okay, I'm going to reframe that time as something that's just for me and get a good podcast going into your ears. Yeah. Um, and apparently studies have said that it's really good to focus on um, character-driven stories that take you away from, you know, your own life because when you empathise with, with the main character, you produce more oxytocin and oxytocin helps to reduce cortisol, which is a stress hormone. So that's one way of doing it. Um, I'm a freelancer, so I don't have a commute, uh, but I try to build in, you know, even if it's half an hour to 40 minutes of just... Because it, it takes... I mean, 10 minutes probably isn't enough to kind of really switch off and unwind. Yeah. Um, so I might take 40 minutes just to even just to watch some crap on TV you know yeah. so just like have something to look forward to every day that this is my 40 minutes whatever it, whatever it may be for you but something that's you know not plugged into the phone uh, or hunched over a screen but like audio definitely is re- um, really helpful because you create your own mental imagery with this uh, and that's just really good for, for the mind so absolutely listen to listen to a few yeah. episodes of Girls with Goals why not it only takes absolutely, 40 minutes yeah. um, I'm interested in what you said about the worry period so this is this is interesting because you're basically kind of telling people that it's okay to take some time to worry about shit which is really interesting I, I actually think it's because most of the time people really most of the time people are kind of telling you to try and clear your mind. I find it really difficult to clear my mind of things because there's so much rattling on up there usually, you know? I, I think most people would agree with you. Um, and I actually, it's been like proven to be really helpful to allow yourself to kind of sit down with your fears and your worries and say, okay, what's going on? What's really niggling away at me? And you do it in a sort of controlled way because you're deciding to sit down and look, and look at it, whether you have a pen and paper or you're just, you know, thinking it through. You kind of put a time limit on it so it doesn't snowball you do it earlier in the day so you're not doing it before you go to bed and when you do that um, you kind of allow yourself to kind of think of all of the things that are worrying you if, if there is anything maybe you're having a completely fine day and it helps you kind of plan around them and plan a contingency plan if, if you know if something goes wrong or helps you prepare for, for those things and, and, and deal with the stress more sort of head on and then when you go to bed which is when most of us start to kind of worry and things are rolling around the head yeah. you've kind of you've done that already so you can park it and say well I've already thought about that today so now I can just relax it actually really helps me to just be like okay I've considered all of the worst case scenario things or I've I've done my worrying and I've, I've thought it through and now I can you know totally just read my book and chill The next thing you spoke about is the social media diet and this is something that is spoken about a lot when it comes to modern day stress obviously we're all on our phones a huge amount so what exactly do you mean by the social media diet? 
honestly, like I say this, but I find it very difficult myself. I'm actually reading a really good book at the moment called Deep Work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's all about, you know, how much time we suck away on social media that keeps us sort of um, in this shallow work mode and we never actually get to do anything really deep and meaningful. Yeah. So I think it's just helpful to uh, maybe limit your time on social media or even like, what I do is I would work and I try and work through something and then uh, I pick up my phone maybe afterwards as kind of an, a reward. Yeah. And I think what's really important with social media is to realise that you can very easily fall into social comparison trap, which is what, yeah. where a lot of the stress comes from for people. Um, so not only is it the physical kind of stress of just picking up your phone constantly, and I actually I do that like a, like a physical tick. Mm. You call it the modern day sugar, which I think is such a great way to kind of label it because yeah. you should enjoy it in moderation. So obviously we can't get off social media entirely for a lot of us. You know, it's a part of our jobs. But do you allocate yeah. certain time in the day when you're kind of treating yourself to it? Yeah, I try to kind of build it into like a reward thing. So um, now, I mean, like full disclosure, I'm not always, you know, doing all of my own advice to perfection. I have days where I'm just like keep picking it up and I'm ah, very yeah. distracted. Um, so my, my, I mean, this would be my goal and this would be a best practice kind of thing. Um, but I would I would try and literally put the phone in another room while I'm doing, say, because I'm freelance, I'm at home, maybe I'm working on an article or a feature. Yeah. Um, and then when I'm done, I'll go and I'll have a look at the phone and scroll for a few minutes. Um, and I've just been really, I've learned to be really kind of just savvy about what I'm consuming on social media and take it with a pinch of salt and know that, you know, and I always say this phrase, but you are really comparing your behind the scenes with someone else's highlights reel. So it's just so important to know that what you're looking at is very curated. Um, and then yeah. to, to, in terms of a social comparison thing, to kind of swap that out for something that's called temporal comparison which was a theory put forward by Leon Festinger um, and it's really interesting actually because it takes it away from comparing yourself to someone else which is more about one-upmanship and focusing on yourself so comparing yourself of today with yourself of last year and using yourself as a benchmark for improvement if that's your goal um, and this is more kind of uh, it's just more positive and more practical and more helpful than, than saying well she's doing so much better than me or yeah. she's lifting more weights at the gym and that kind of thing and then the kind of final thing that you said in this article was the stress checker, which I found this really interesting because you were basically kind of breaking down the different levels of stress that people can experience throughout life. And I think it's what you can experience throughout adult life in particular. It's basically being able to identify which kind of or whether bad stress or good stress, because obviously we all have stress, but if it's negatively affecting your life and your work performance and stuff like that, it's really time to kind of slow down and and take a look at it. Isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a thing called optimal anxiety. um, I think I I referenced in the article. So there actually is such a thing as optimal anxiety and they would have been two words I never would have put together before I wrote uh, my first book. But it's that kind of sweet spot of a little bit of pressure to kind of make you perform better and, and you're kind of excited about what you're doing and, you know, you've got a deadline, but you're actually happy about it and you're, you're feeling fulfilled and that's kind of positive anxiety that propels you forward instead of a negative stress where you're like, I don't want to be here, I yeah. don't want to be doing this, you know, this is making me feel bad. So it's just really helpful to kind of recognise the difference between good stress and bad stress and, you know, we're all capable of experiencing small amounts of good stress and I think the key is just to have it, like I say, in small amounts. So if you're, if you're constantly pushing yourself you know, an optimal anxiety could eventually turn into unhelpful anxiety, which would be more detrimental. So, with anxiety, anybody who suffers from anxiety or like that kind of, you know, 
wants some tips on dealing with anxiety, I can't recommend your book enough, Owning It, Your Bullshit Free Guide to Living with Anxiety. I basically kind of use it as a little handbook. It's got really good chapters on sleeping and panic attacks and stuff like this. But you do have a new book that's coming out in May and it's called A Confidence Kit. So what can we expect from that in comparison to owning it? So it's similar in sort of structure. It's again, like I'm all about the practical and, you know, you could ramble on and on, but I really want to give people um, very tangible tools that they can take away with them. So this is taking our common roadblocks, you know, such as fear of failure and mental roadblocks and helping kind of reframe them as building blocks or the building blocks of confidence. So my goal is to kind of um, help people work with their, the things that feel like they hold them back. Like, you know, I, I, I wouldn't describe myself as the most confident person in the world and last week I had to get up and talk in front of 350 women at an event and I wasn't going up there cool as a cucumber Um, but I kind of went through the tools that I had devised such as you know that fear hacking which would be thinking about the worst case scenario and allowing yourself to follow your fears through and think okay well what if this happens and how will I handle that and all of that kind of helps contribute towards a feeling of confidence and I have like a couple of really interesting equations in there so there's one called uh, comfortable neutrality uh, plus experience equals confidence and comfortable neutrality is my greatest ally because that basically means being comfortable with any outcome uh, and learning to relax with whatever so you can never be completely sure of the outcome unless you're a fortune teller but you can learn to relax with something going good or something maybe not going so good and then when you add experience to that then you arrive at confidence the confidence kit so that's out in May and finally Caroline before I let you go on this episode we're talking about finances a lot and we're talking about being savvy with our financial freedom so if you had a tip for our listeners do you have any money saving tips I'm basically trying to get as much information as I can out of as many people as possible Oh, I'm pretty bad with my money and um, I won't be writing a book on how to manage your finances. But I always have this um, tip from my nana from when I was much younger and she always said, spend a little, save a little. So if you if you earn something or whatever, always put a little bit away and, and treat yourself with a little bit as well. And I find that just really helpful. Spend a little, save a little. I really like that. Caroline, thank yeah. you so much yeah. for taking the call today. Of course, thank you. So that was Caroline Four in there talking about practical ways to deal with modern day stresses. I think some of the things that she highlighted, Susan, they can definitely cross over to money management as well because it can be incredibly stressful, I think. And I mean, you were saying earlier about taking that power hour once a week to sit down and kind of go over your finances. And Caroline was talking about um, taking kind of an hour and a week to sit down and and think about the concerns and the worries that you have Mm -hmm. and to not just suppress them. So, I mean... It can be stressful, right? I mean, that's something that comes along with the territory at times, thinking about your future, thinking about your finances and whether or not you're going to be able to kind of make it. Oh, it can. Yeah, Yeah, it it can. And I would say this, you know, it was easier to be talking about how you were worried about money 10 years ago because everyone was and now it can sound like everyone isn't. Um, Everyone worries about it from some point of view or other. But what I would say there is the way in which I I deal with that is that I think about, okay, what's the outcome? So I might be worried, for example, that I won't have enough money um, 
to I'm taking taking a phrase from your mother again about uh, in my 20s that I don't have the money for learning so maybe I want to do a master's or maybe it is that I want to go on a course uh, and I don't have the money for it Mm -hmm. okay now and the worry is I don't have the money for it but let's just think about the outcome okay so what really do I want from this well I want to get education okay now is it is it that you want education for the badge because I want to say I have a master's which will now help me to go forward uh, into, um, into, into a job or is it that I simply want the learning is it that I want to learn about leadership or finance or marketing or whatever okay let's say it's the education well then what I would do is I would think about okay well maybe I actually don't need to pay for a master's maybe what I need to do is curate a lot of free courses for example um, of which there are plenty out there and you know what actually why don't I think about doing something like getting a subscription to lynda.com which is I can get a free trial of it because I would have an account on LinkedIn most people that, that, uh, that are working today or even that aren't have an account on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn own now lynda.com that's lynda with a Y and they have huge, 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 huge amount of online training and I we have it. We have a business subscription to it. So all of anytime one of my staff members come to me and they say to me okay I want to learn more about coding or marketing or digital marketing or how to build a YouTube channel with engagement that's where I send them. Wow. So that so a lot of worries about money focus on a number mm-hmm. and, and this is where I would say no how about let's uh, let's think about the outcome and let's think about what it is that we would like to get from it so I, I'll take a, so that was a, a work related one I'll take a different one so family uh, family holiday right I'd love to go on holidays and uh, I don't know how I could do that because we'd love to go somewhere in the sun and that would not cost a fortune mm. okay well I'll just actually I'll give you a, a real story that happened in this in this case when I launched the book I had my Cork book launch in 20, April 2013 and a woman came up to me and she said with the title Savvy Woman's Guide to Financial Freedom where's the ticket Where's the lottery ticket in it? That's what often people say to me and they say it in kind of a glib way and I always laugh back and I'd say, well, even if there was in it, I said, you know, what would you want? And she says, oh, sure, I'd love to spend the summer in Lanzarote with the kids. And she was a teacher and I said, what's stopping you? And she said, <laughs> ah, come on now. And I said, no, seriously, seriously, yeah. what's stopping you? And she said, well, first of all, it's the cost of the accommodation. And I said, sure, why couldn't you do a house swap? Yeah. And she says, who from Lanzarote would want to live in Limerick <laughs> for the summer and I said uh, you don't know that like yeah. so I said well seriously and like today there would be Airbnb as well for example of where she could have rented out her house that way and then she says but sure what about the cost of the flights and I said well if you download the Hopper app um, Hopper is an app that will actually look for the cheapest price available if you put into a destination and for where you're going to fly from it will send you an alert to say Tuesday the 14th of May is going to be the che- is the cheapest price that we've seen yeah. ever on this route so I said why don't you do that and then she says oh yeah I suppose I could and then she said should I have to feed them I said well I presume you're feeding them at home as well <laughs> and and then you know the wheel started to turn and then she said to me but actually you know, I was going to send them summer camps and this and that and the other should they go play on the beach all day do you know what she says I think I'd save money bringing them to Lanzarote for the summer but that was the point she was focusing on it'd probably cost thousands because I'd have to rent out a hotel room for like three months and, yeah. and the point is focusing on the outcome and working back that's that is often how we can deal with that. I mean, it's interesting because you were saying there about the education element as well. So, I mean, sometimes it's just about looking at something differently. Differently, yeah. That's and then all, it's yeah. not because now I kind of want to go to Lanzarote for the summer, <laughs> studyinglinda.com. Yeah, I, I actually think that I might be able to afford it as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but speaking about kind of uh, concerns and worries, when I did the poll about what episodes to do on this podcast, I asked people to send in some financial questions. Mm-hmm. It's no pressure, but I'm just going to hit you with some of them now. Um, Okay, so one of them that came in, I'm engaged to be married. Should I share financial accounts with my spouse? Uh, We've never done it before, but someone mentioned it to me the other day and it got me thinking. 
Uh, okay, well, I was in that scenario when I got engaged to, um, first of all, I would say there's no hard and fast rules. I don't know whether what she's really asking me is, is should we have a joint account? And that's what I mean. There's no hard and fast rules. Some people, a joint account is great because yeah. one person is really good at managing money. The other person, not alone, may not be very talented at it, but doesn't want to. And then that yeah. works out really well. Other people, it just doesn't work. It really doesn't. You've kind of two very independent people and they don't want to, to, to do that. Yeah. Um, now, on the the other hand if what she's asking me is should we speak to each other about our financials I would say absolutely Yeah. the reason I would say that is you're going to be married to that person which means you're married to their financial situation too maybe your spouse to, uh, is spouse does spouse happen after marriage or is it before marriage I think it's spouse is after marriage yeah. okay so mm. your current fiance um, your fiance could be very much in debt and you may not know about it right um, and by the way that may not be a malicious thing they may want to maybe just hide it from you or maybe they grow up and unfortunately not unfortunately I've just seen this a fair bit that some people grow up in families where debt is just the normal it's just there yeah so it, they could have a 30,000 euro overdraft that you don't know about that they're not worrying about yeah. for example because that's just the way they were brought up there was always debt in the house yeah. So remember that you you have your own set of assumptions. You might be somebody who says, yeah, okay, I'll always have an overdraft. I'll always have a credit card. Somebody else might say, well, if I don't have 5,000 euro savings in the bank, I wouldn't sleep. Yeah. You bring two very different financial personalities. And I would definitely say I learned a lot about my husband um, in terms of his attitudes and his situation and likewise he learned about mine um, but that happened definitely before I walked up the aisle yeah. well, I suppose like maybe don't ask these questions when they're proposing to you that probably wouldn't be the most romantic <laughs> no, n- not that day not that day weekend like but maybe yeah. a good thing to kind of find out about the financial background of the person that you're planning on spending the rest of your life with yes spending being the operative word there uh, another question that came in how do I teach my kids about money they're very yeah. young at the moment but my biggest fear is that they'll be spoiled um, what I would say is is first of all I, I would be interested if I was talking to that person I'd be talking to her about where uh, it doesn't uh, say how old the kids are I guess yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'd also be wondering where that fear comes from because I, I know I, again because I have savvy teens uh, sorry that's the summer camp I mentioned earlier because I have savvy teens I meet teenagers at between 16 to 18 all the time mm-hmm. so I I am dealing with her uh, child of of how let's say if when she says very young it could be two it could be seven yeah but I I I have met her teenager if you know what I mean because I meet young people all the time yeah I mean I suppose it's kind of teaching kids about money is very broad but maybe it's kind of more about the value of money because yeah. I'll give you an example for um when I was a kid like my parents would bring us to Disney World and Disneyland and we were treated very nicely we went and we had the most incredible holidays they ask us now still do you remember that holiday because we spent an awful lot of money on that holiday and I do we would have been like eight or nine yeah. but I think now about it as a grown-up and I think about those kind of uh, parks that you go to and I remember I remember screaming at my mother because she wouldn't let me get this drink the drinks yeah. that you buy in yeah. these parks theme parks are like $20 and it's just you're buying the cup you're buying the kind of oh, the, know, yeah. the, the consumer yeah. but I mean when I think about it now that was a huge amount of money that my parents spent in order to kind of give their kids this incredible holiday and then of course I was screaming because I couldn't yeah. get a blue slushy like an absolute yeah. Egypt. <laughs> Um but I suppose looking back on it now I appreciate 
that and I appreciate that you know they saved for a really long time in order to kind of make those memories for us so mm. maybe they were trying to teach me a lesson that you do not need that goofy cup Neve. Yeah, you know <laughs> um, what I would say there is my first time in Disney I was 25 I was at a conference and I thought oh my god this place is great and I'd say I had I been there a day earlier I wouldn't have appreciated it but yeah. uh, um, what I would say about teaching your kids about money is talk to them about it yeah. and I mean every not okay not every transaction you make but when you're when you're buying the shopping let's just say when you're in in the grocery store uh, in the American team yeah. theme of things um, is you know when you're picking up two packets of cheese and you're comparing prices is talk to them about it and say okay well I daddy likes this one and that's why we're buying this one or this one weighs more um, or whatever and just just whatever it is is that show them okay we're choosing this one because of our preferences or we're choosing this one because it's better value for money yeah, or whatever and also let them pay right so give them the money and hand it over so that they can see that these that things there's a transaction that there is yeah, yeah. and that the, so that it's not just these things appear in the press at home then there actually money has to be done our money has to actually go go through this or also as well um, I would say to them maybe as, as time goes on and I've often spoken to people about this so again this would be dependent on the age group is if they come home and say right I need 20 or 50 euros to go on a school tour is to say okay well how could we make that now between us so if I give you 20 and you need to make the other 30 how would you do that yeah and it's just actually is so really what I would say is talk to them and what about pocket money where do you stand on that for against um, I think pocket money works and I think in I had to work for my pocket money that like yeah. I did chores in order yep. to get my pocket money now it wasn't like you know I had to hoover the living room it wasn't yeah. manual labor or anything like that but again it was probably a teaching method at that time I I I don't agree with I won't do anything at home if I'm not paid ma'am I don't yeah. I don't agree with that I I mean I really don't agree with that at the end of the day when you're living if you just look forward if you look forward 20 years and let's say somebody is you know somebody is living with somebody in the house in college or in a workplace environment nobody is going to pay you to do this so yeah. so let's just bear that in mind I think pocket money is a very useful exercise because A it shows that money has to be earned mm-hmm. and uh, B it shows that it's finite and that in order to get more that you have to do more so I think and also as well it's a really useful exercise for parents to say, well, what did you spend it on? And, yes. and why? And and this is a great place to actually figure out why people are spending money. So let's just say somebody uh, somebody who's 14 or 15 says, well, you know, I got dumped today in school, so I decided to go out and buy myself something to make myself feel better. You can really root something like that out at that stage and say, OK, but th- did that help? And so tomorrow you may not be feeling great either. So the pocket money's gone now. What are you going to do? So having those conversations, I find pocket money gives them the independence to go and make independent spending decisions while realising that resource is finite yeah. but having that conversation with them afterwards you can actually you can root out an awful lot of financial biases they'll have themselves Okay I think we have time for just one more so I have money saved and I know I'll spend it if I don't invest wisely now any tips on what a good investment looks like? Uh, yes so first of all um, I would say if you're, if you're looking at the investing angle um, and I mean this sincerely the best thing to do is invest in your education Okay uh, so I 
and I, I'll just tell this story briefly. I went on a course when I was 19 about learning how to invest in the stock market. Before that, I had no clue. I used to see Sharon Violon at the end of the 6-1 News saying, and the Irish index of Irish shares is up by, and that's as much familiarity as I had with it. Yeah. So I went on a course. Um, it was with Gillen Markets uh, because I actually uh, went, I subsequently went on and I worked for them. That's how I said, told you that it led to my first job. I worked with them for five years and uh, and I so I'm, I, God, I'm gone now a long time. But he loves squash randomly. Enough. That's right, Rory <laughs> does. He does. He does indeed, and uh, that's <laughs> spot on. Yeah. Um. So I worked. The, so so what I'm trying to say is that by going on that course, it's not obviously that every time anyone goes on a course, they they get a job after it. But just that 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 investment at that period of time was was hugely useful. Now. Moving on from that, what I would say is if the person doesn't necessarily want to do that, if they want to do some, let's say they want to learn themselves, I would look at exchange traded funds. Okay. So I'm just going to again give it a different example. My first investment was in this. This is a, a fund. Okay, so it's a it's a, a basket of, of stocks. Rather than picking individual companies, wouldn't recommend that for anybody starting off. So it's a basket of companies and it's listed on the stock market. Mm-hmm. So that means that I can go into the shop and buy it. So using a, an online trading broker, for example. So I spent um, $15.95, so $15.95 on, just on the transaction. That's all, no more. Yeah. And I bought the world uh, ETF. So I bought the world stock market. So what that meant was that I simply bought a basket of stocks, the biggest hundred stocks in the world. I didn't have to choose which country, which currency, which anything. That's where I would start is buying something really broad. And how much did that cost you? You said fifteen ninety. So fifteen ninety five for the for the transaction. So the minimum amount that I would invest is a thousand euro. Okay. Anything less is the costs become too high. So if you have a thousand euros, that is what I did is that I, I bought something really broad. Now, it's not, I'm not recommending buying the world ETF. I'm recommending buying something that's broad yeah. and that's very low cost um, and also that is listed on the stock market so that therefore you, you, you've you got wide exposure for little cost. And this might, I don't know if this is a stupid question or not, but just, no say, just say I invested say 500 euro and something like that, a broad yeah. uh, stock what would be the return? Like, I mean, yeah. as in how many years yeah. or, or like, should you just leave it there for a while? Like, I used to get these bonds off my auntie from when I was a kid and I don't know what they were and I never saw any money, but I used to say thank you every single time I okay. got a bond. <laughs> the savings so bond, I think. I, was, there, was that a prize bond? Yeah, it could have been a prize yeah. bond. I don't know. I never won anything. <laughs> so, but, but do you still, the money is still there. So you, I know what you mean now by you didn't win anything. That was definitely a prize bond. Okay. So that, that is where you lend 100 euro to the government. Okay. And or it, that's the way it would be denominated, 100 euros to the government. And then from there, they put you into a prize draw. And then if, if you win anything, you win things. But that 100 euros uh, okay. is always there. So you could cash those in at any time. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Yep. She's given me those for years and years. They're really good. Yeah, it was a good idea. Wow. Yeah, very good idea. I'm going to go look for them when I get home. Absolutely. <laughs> you, yeah. sh- you, you should, definitely. So to get, to get back to your point, um, what I would say, Niamh, is I wouldn't invest 500 euros simply because if you had 500 and you put, let's say you spend 20 euros on fees, because $15.95 is yeah. a bit less, but let's say you're going, to, you're going to spend 20 euros on fees in, 20 euros on fees out, and there's stamp duty as well, that's 50 euros gone. So 10% of your money has been eaten up. Right. That's why I would say wait until you have a minimum of a thousand. Yeah. Okay. Now, your second part of your question was the return. Mm-hmm. So over uh, the hun- over a hundred years, over and I mean that that properly, over a hundred years of looking at the stock market, uh, the return would be somewhere between eight to ten percent compound per annum. 
in years like 2008 it was minus 50 in years like 2009 it was plus 60 so that's why I'm saying it's an average Mm -hmm. so I would say if you're going to invest I would be thinking about leaving it there for five years plus now you can always get at it that's the great thing about having something listed it's just like I mentioned about the shop earlier I can go into the shop and I can buy something um, in the stock market I can go into the shop and I can buy a stock today and I can sell it in an hour so you can have access to it at any time but in your head I would say okay yeah I'm going to put this money away for, for five years right okay plus. five years so finally before I let you go saving tips so this is for women who listen to the podcast who read our website her.ie what would be your top savings tips that people can do now and this is for people that let's just say are not the best at savings. I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's me, Susan, but I'm just saying yep. that some people struggle with savings. It's, yep. it's me. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Tell me how to right. save money. So first of all, I'm going to focus on the outcome first is like, why would you want to save? So you might want to save because usually... I mean, we- you can't take anything with you. I know that people say that all the time when you're just about yeah. to go and spend frivolously. But, you know, <laughs> having savings is a good thing as well yeah. for security. Uh, okay. Now, right. Thank you. Thank you. Given me, you've given me the bait now. Okay. Is usually people thinking, okay, I need to save for a rainy day. So then, okay, that's because I lose my job or something happens, right? And they think about bad stuff. Right. Let's say I come to you, Neva, right? And I come to you with a business idea where I think it could be really, really great. Um, but both of us need to put in 2,000 euros to get it started. Or I come, I ring you and I'd say, oh, Neve, look, I've actually, I've been on Tour America's website and I see uh, that they're they're running a cruise um, in three weeks time to the Mediterranean and they've got a special offer and it's 500 euros for 10 days. It's actually having money for good stuff. It's yeah. having for the unexpected positive opportunities as well. That's why. So that you can say yes I'd like to build that business or yes I would like to go on, the, on that holiday that is going for an absolute steal or you know on, on the day when you do when you do need money for something really wonderful that it's there. So it's not just in case you get sick or something like that. Right, yeah. So the second thing is um, how, where would you put it? And I'm back to the same website again. Consumerhelp.ie has a savings, a calculator, but it also has a savings uh, cost comparison. So I can actually put in there into one of their tools, um, put in the amount that let's say that I have to save, let's say if it's monthly or once off, and then I can find the best account with the best interest rate and the best introductory rate and they're doing all that work for me. So you could have, you could have that done in five minutes yeah. easily. And the third thing is, okay, where am I going to find the money? The problem with saving is that every time you save you have to make the decision to save. Yeah. Right. So let's take that out of the equation. If you simply set up a direct debit of even if it's 10 euros a month, 50 euros a month, 100 euros a month, whatever whatever it is. Take away the decision. Take process. away the decision. Yeah. So the, you make one decision and that's to do it. Set up the, the standing order in that case because it would be a fixed amount every month and that's it. You don't have to save yeah. again. You don't have to make the decision to do it. It's done for you. It's just happening. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Such good advice, Susan. (laughs) That is all the time we have for this week, unfortunately. I would highly recommend going and checking out Susan Hayes and looking at her books. I don't know whether you're available to just walk around with people and just talk to them about finances (laughs) because I would like to pay you to do that for me. I'm Neve Marr and we will chat to you next week. 